We do welcome each one to our morning worship this morning. It's good to see you here, and if you're visiting with us, we especially welcome you. And to those watching online, uh, we welcome you as well. And wherever you are, and may you know the blessing of the Lord, and may we all know his presence and his grace and his spirit as we gather together uh, to worship him today. We're going to commence our worship of the Lord by turning uh, to the Psalm 103a, the Psalm 103a, uh, that section of psalms uh, that's found at the back of the hymnal, uh, 103a, O thou my Lord, O, o, o thou my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is, uh, be stirred up his holy name uh, to magnify and bless. Psalm 103a, and we'll sing verses 1 through to 5. Verses 1 to 5, those verses that are contained uh, between the lines of music only. 1 to 5, and standing to sing, please. seated. We're going to turn this morning in the Word of God to the Psalm 46, the Psalm 46, one of the favorite psalms of the reformer Martin Luther. He wrote his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and 
uh, this psalm uh, was uh, behind his thoughts as he penned uh, the words of that hymn. And it's a psalm that reminds us of who our God is. And as we come to worship him, let us remember who he is. Let us remember who he is to us. Uh, we are not worshiping a God who is isolated from us, a God who is far from us, uh, but we are worshiping our God, one who is personal to us, one who is present as we gather together in his name. And so let us uh, consider the words of this psalm together uh, to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. And that word, Selah, means to pause, to reflect, to think upon what has just been sung or read. And certainly it is used during this psalm, three occasions. And let us pause, let us think, let us meditate upon what the Lord is saying here. And may it be an encouragement to our hearts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let us pray and let us unite together seeking the Lord and remembering the needs that we have and not only now as we worship him but as a congregation. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we look to thee this morning and we come with thankfulness we come with joy in our hearts that we can approach thy throne of grace and we thank thee that thou art our God, that thou art our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And Father, we have reminded ourselves of that truth from thy scriptures today. We've reminded ourselves of that truth in the adult Sunday school as we considered, O oh God, the those of long ago who suffered during persecution, those who were not ashamed to stand for thee and for their lives to be led down 
because of the love they had for their Savior. And, O oh God, today we pray that we would look upon even what we considered this morning, and we would rejoice that for those believers, God was their refuge and strength, a very present help in the great trouble that they had. And, Father, we thank Thee that in the past, within the Scriptures and within the history of the church, and if we were to pen our own history as a congregation and pen our own history as individuals, we would write concerning this, that in times of trouble and in times of sorrow and times of tribulation, Thou hast been our refuge and our strength and a present help. And Father, today we come to Thee afresh and we pray that in whatever we face this week, in whatever comes upon us, and we pray, O oh God, we would look to Thee and know, not only know within our hearts, but see around us that God is our refuge and our strength and our help. And we thank Thee that we can rest upon Thee and we can depend upon Thee to help us and to supply our need. And we pray, Father, that we would come today then in thankfulness to Thee for all that Thou has done for us. We thank Thee for salvation. And we thank Thee that when we think of the wrath of God upon sin and uncleanness, and that we have been cleansed and saved and delivered by the precious blood of Christ. That, O oh God, when it comes to spiritual matters and the matters of our hearts, Thou art our refuge because we are trusting in Christ. Thou art our strength because we trust in Christ. Thou art our help because we trust in Christ and we are thine redeemed people. And Father, today we do remember those outside of Christ, those who can not cry out that God is their refuge in salvation because they've never turned and repented and placed their faith in thee. And we pray, Father, that would speak to their hearts this day. We thank, Father, of those who listen to the radio program, those of friends and family here. And we thank, Father, those who come to the services, who are outside of Christ. And speak to them, we pray, that God would be the refuge of their souls. And Father, we do remember our congregation here. We pray this prayer not only for those outside of Christ, that God would be their refuge, but for each of us in our trials and tribulations, that we would know God to be our refuge. Uh, Father, we remember uh, our brother Vern again today. His wife and family, bless him and strengthen him, we pray. Uh, we do remember Debbie and Clayton Snow. Uh, Father, uh, we remember uh, Peggy and uh, others as well who need uh, thy help and thy touch. And uh, we pray, O oh God, that uh, thou would be pleased to draw graciously near and be uh, that refuge for us. We do remember the Golligers as well. We think especially uh, of our brother Calvin. And we pray that thou would uh, be pleased to uh, continue to give help and strength. And Father, we pray uh, that he would know uh, the touch of the great physician. We do remember our radio ministry and, uh, Father, the online ministry. We remember as well the, the Sunday school. Bless in these works, we pray. Bless in our families and in our homes and in our friends and those that uh, we labor with. Uh, that we would be that gospel witness in all 
uh, that we do, witnessing for Christ, uh, the mighty to save. Our Father, we remember our denomination and our mission works. Uh, Father, bless them, we pray. We think of the work in Liberia. Remember our brother, the Reverend Decanio and uh, Joanne Greer as they labor there. Uh, bless that work, the radio ministry uh, that they're engaged in and uh, the work amongst the children and in the churches. Father, uh, we pray that uh, thou would keep them safe from harm. And we ask thee that there would be many opportunities uh, to serve thee and to see precious souls, one for the Savior. Father, we pray today that thou would enable us to rest upon thee, uh, to look to thee, to know thee as our refuge. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us, Father, for uh, those things we do contrary to thy law. Convict us of them. Uh, show us thy righteous path. Give us grace and strength to forsake sin, uh, to leave it behind, uh, lest uh, we fall into the snare of the evil one. Bless us. Do our souls good as we gather in worship and as we come to the means of grace. And we pray that uh, the mean, that means uh, that thou hast provided for us through the reading of thy word and through prayer and through the preaching of thy word, even today, that it would be a blessing to our souls and that we would be built up in our faith, uh, glorifying our God and our Savior. Father, meet with us, we pray, and do our hearts good, and we ask of thee for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Going to turn again in our hymnals, 671. 671, O God of Bethel, by whose hand thy people still are fed, who through this weary pilgrimage hast all our fathers led. 671, O God of Bethel, we'll stand as we sing, please.
may be seated. We're turning this morning the Word of God to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll commence our reading at verse 1. The Word of God says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Here are epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust we have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, and much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding, as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading this morning of his word for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. We do extend a word of welcome again to each one gathered in, those visiting with us, those watching online. Uh, we welcome each one and we pray for the Lord's blessing and spirit to be with us. Do remember the prayer meeting tonight at 5.30 p.m. and then the evening service at 6 p.m., uh, with food and fellowship afterwards. Do remember that? It's the last Lord's Day in the month, and so we gather together. So do bring uh, something to share with each one. Tomorrow evening, 
uh, our session and board meet, the session at 6 p.m. and then the board at 7 p.m. Um, we trust the Lord's blessings upon uh, those meetings. We did bring our December meeting forward uh, to tomorrow. And so do uh, remember that, those who are elders and deacons within our congregation. On Tuesday, there is the Toronto Women's Bible Study with Mrs. Jill Saunders. It uh, takes place 4 p.m. Pacific time on Zoom. And if you're interested in that, then speak uh, to our sister Susan, and she can give you the sign-in details for Zoom. Wednesday at 7.30 is our prayer meeting and Bible study. Uh, do remember that. And then on Saturday, uh, the women meet uh, for their breakfast, a new venture we started earlier this month. And we have it again this Saturday coming, 2nd of December at 9 a.m. The women meet, and there's a short time of devotion and prayer, and then breakfast and fellowship. Uh, so do remember that. We do invite the ladies of the congregation and uh, even those who were not there last month uh, to come and to join and to have a fellowship. So bring something to share and enjoy that time together. And then in the evening on Saturday, 7.30 p.m., the men have uh, their monthly prayer meeting. Next Lord's Day, the services are as in the bulletin. At the morning service, uh, we have communion at the end of that service. So do remember that. And then next Lord's Day at 1.45, we have the service at the Langley Lodge Care Home. Uh, we will be uh, remembering uh, the incarnation of the Savior uh, as uh, we come together uh, singing some of uh, those incarnation hymns. And we'll also, uh, I believe, I think some of the children uh, may be singing as well. And so uh, do remember that service as we gather together with those in the care home. And then on Saturday, the 9th of December at 12 p.m., uh, we have our 55-plus Christmas lunch at Newlands Golf and Country Club. And so we're asking those who are interested able to, and able to come to put your name on the list in the hall. Uh, we have a number of spaces reserved, and uh, we need to know if we need to adjust that number, hopefully make it higher. And so if you are interested in coming, uh, please put your name on the list, preferably today. And if we get close to 15, we can sort that this week. And if uh, not, then uh, by next Sunday, we would need to know the exact numbers uh, for the booking. So we encourage you to come. And uh, there's others coming. It'll be a good time of fellowship, getting to know people in the congregation. And so uh, we do invite uh, you to come. And make sure you do put your name down and come and have uh, that time together around food and fellowship also. Then Friday the 15th of December, 7 p.m., will be our Christmas social here. Uh, there'll be uh, a number of things taking place, uh, some singing. Uh, I'll bring a short devotion at the end. Uh, it'll be an informal time gathering together. And then we'll go downstairs and have some food together. Some more will be said about that uh, later on. Do remember that. The Trinitarian Bible Society, their calendars uh, for 2024 have arrived. They're available on the table. So is the newest magazine. And the Trinitarian Bible Society have their AGM. It takes place on Friday the 1st of December at 7.30 p.m. at the Reformed Congregations of North America in Chilliwack. Uh, so do remember that if you're able to go, uh, go along and hear about that particular work. Do remember the radio ministry as well. And uh, the details of our broadcasts in the local area are in the bulletin also. 
These are all the announcements, the subject to the will of God. And we're going to turn on our hymnals to hymn 666. 666, Jesus, where'er thy people meet, there they behold thy mercy seat. Where'er they seek thee, thou art found, and every place is hallowed ground. 666, we'll remain seated while our tithes for the Lord's work are received. Father, we thank thee, Lord, that we can enter into thy house this morning. We thank thee, Lord, for thy goodness to us. Take our tithes, take our offerings, and use them that the gospel may go forth. We pray for the furtherance of the gospel message, that you would bless the radio ministry, bless the word as it goes forth in this building and over sermon audio. We thank thee, Lord, that you have made these things possible, that your word would accomplish that which you send it to do. Be with our pastor as he brings the word now, and we ask that you would bless him, give him your Holy Spirit to preach, and meet with each one in the pew as well. We thank thee, Lord, for all thy good things that come from thy hand, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand to sing. We'll sing verse 4, verse 5 of 666. Verses 4 and 5, standing to sing.
seated. As we come to the word of God this morning, uh, let us turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 again. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And with the word open before us, let us unite together in prayer. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy goodness and thy grace toward us. And we thank thee we can always seek thee in prayer, knowing thy blessing and knowing the outpouring of thy spirit. We pray, Father, that thou would give us strength and help as we come to the preaching of thy word. We pray that thou would make thy word clear to us, encourage our hearts, teach us in thy ways. And Father, give us a word in season, a word to those outside of Christ, a word to thy children. Encourage us in our faith, give us comfort and confidence afresh in our Savior, and glorify thy name. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. I want to draw your attention this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and the verse number 5. And there the word of God says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of our, as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. It was the reformer Martin Luther who said these words. When God contemplates some great work, he begins it by the hand of some poor, weak human creature to whom he afterwards gives aid. And dear congregation, this morning, how true those words are. When God contemplates some great work, he begins it by the hand of some poor, weak human creature to whom he afterwards gives aid. And these words are true about every servant of God in history. They are but poor, weak human vessels in his mighty hand. And Luther spoke from his own experience. The same was true of the Apostle Paul. And you may say the Apostle Paul. Paul, you say, why? Well, the greatest of all the apostles was a poor, weak human vessel. He was not some super being filled with great physical and spiritual stamina, but he was a mere man. He himself said, 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, that he was the chief of sinners. And he puts himself in that right category of sinful and wicked men. And he is only who he is, a sinner saved by grace, a servant of God, because of the abundant grace of God. And believer, this morning, the same is true of you and I. In whatever work God has for us to do, in whatever type of service, in the home, in the workplace, in the church, we are merely per week vessels. But as the apostle points out in our text, we have a sufficient God. And the Corinthian epistles addressed several problems that had manifested themselves in Corinth. And these problems caused difficulties and hindrances in the work of God in that city. In the latter part of chapter 2, in this second epistle, 
uh, we see the apostle placing the emphasis upon his Christ-ordained ministry. Uh, verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savour of death unto death, and to the other the savour of life unto life. And then he asked this question, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? In verse 17, he refers to those who corrupt the word of God. And he says, in this, we speak of sincerity. And as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. There are those that corrupt the word. But the apostle is clear that the message that he preaches, the gospel that he sounds forth, is the very message and truth of God. And he sets forth his ministry in these verses, a work that is serious within the church of Christ, a work that is a blessing and a privilege to the church. And when it comes to the ministry of the word of God, the apostle is sincere. Preaching has been given to the church by God, and we need that same sincerity when we preach the word or when we hear the word of God. Notice what he says, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. He's not merely preaching to the unconverted. He's not merely preaching to believers. He's not preaching specifically to those who come into the church, but he is preaching in the sight of God. And when God is, when God hears the words and God sees his servant, and whenever we hear the word, whenever we preach the word, whenever we read the word, God sees us. And that is a solemn thing. In every aspect of life, God sees us. But when we come to worship him and we come to his word, God sees us. And when a man stands before a congregation claiming to be the messenger of God with the word for the flock, there is a solemnity. There is a temporal, spiritual, and eternal seriousness placed upon that. And that has been lost in many pews and many churches over the years. And this loss has destroyed churches and their witness for Christ. And dear believer, if you ever have the opportunity not only to sit as we sit in the service, but to teach the word of God in this fashion, or to teach in a Sunday school class, or to bring God's word to others, never lose the view of the primacy or the importance or the seriousness of what you are doing. Have that high view of preaching because that is what Paul has here. In the sight of God, speak we in Christ. And if we lose that high view, it turns preaching and the preacher into nothing more than a performance and an actor upon a stage with no real purpose. When we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it brings us to the issue at hand. There are false teachers within this church that had come in, one of their tactics was to discredit uh, the Apostle Paul, to say that he was not preaching the truth, that his gospel was not a true gospel. And friends, that is often what false teachers who are against Christ attempt to do. They discredit the messenger, and by discrediting the messenger, they discredit the message. And we are not to give opportunity to those who seek to discredit the glorious gospel. 
In verse 1, the apostle says, do we need to bring letters of commendation again to you? And a common practice in those days, and in a sense that principle remains to this day, was that Paul and other ministers would have letters of commendation from the church that commissioned them to go forth with the gospel of Christ. And that gave the church being visited the assurance that Paul was who he claimed to be. In modern times, we maybe have looked at that slightly different or practiced that a little differently. In some churches, men need uh, to be interviewed or spoken to uh, by the leadership before they preach. In our denomination, uh, if you were to go into our seminary, uh, there would be interviews and an opportunity to preach. You would just not walk in and then walk into a pulpit, uh, but there would be an interview uh, regarding you and your salvation and your call. Uh, but if we were to ask uh, one of our students or one of our ministers to come here and preach, uh, we don't need them to bring a letter because we know because of the Presbyterian government that we have that this is a man who agrees with our church, with what we stand for, with what we teach, a man who will bring a good word and a faithful word as he comes to preach. And so uh, there's no need for him to bring a letter of commendation uh, that is uh, done by the presbytery, as it were. Uh, we know uh, those men are in good standing and therefore they will bring a faithful word. Uh, but in the days of Paul, uh, letters were brought and he's saying, do I need to do this? He says, verse 2, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And so Paul is saying here, there's no need for this letter of commendation because you yourselves are that letter of commendation. You've heard the teaching. You've believed the teaching. You know that it is true because of the first-hand experience of God's blessing. Verse 3 speaks about the Spirit of the living God manifesting this in the fleshy tables of the heart. Their faith was an epistle of commendation for Paul and the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And the question comes to you and I this morning. Is your heart that living epistle that testifies of the reading of Scripture, of the preaching of God's Word. The hearing of Scripture is not merely to go into our ears, one ear and out of the other, as the saying goes. But Paul outlines an important truth here. The evidence of any man being sent from God as a preacher, and the evidence of Christians as well in the congregation, is seen by the blessing of God in their lives through the preaching of the Word of God. And Paul comes to verse 5 in defending himself. And this is our text. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And I want to take that thought. Paul was insufficient on his own to be a minister of the gospel of Christ. I want to open up that thought, and I want to open up widely because I want to apply it to all of us. In everything that we do for the Lord, living for him, serving him, preaching for him, living godly within our families. Whatever we find ourselves doing, we're to do it all for the glory of God. But we serve the Lord in these things and we are insufficient. Insufficient. We're insufficient on our own to be servants and followers of Christ. When we think of what we once were, sinners and rebels to God, we were insufficient to save ourselves. We're insufficient to serve the Lord and to live for him. 
And this is a wonderful verse that is truth to our souls. And believer, this morning, this should encourage you. If you're downcast this morning, if your heart is in a low place, and you're thinking, how can I serve the Lord? How can I live for him? How can I speak highly of him? I'm insufficient for these things. I can't string two words together. I don't know how to tell that friend at work of their need of salvation. How can I find the words for that and the confidence for that? I'm the only Christian within my family. It's hard standing for Christ. It's hard trying to be a witness. It's hard standing against all the influence of sinful actions because I'm the only Christian. Well, this verse, dear believers, should encourage your soul. Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And that Greek word for sufficiency comes from a word that means ability. Our ability is from God alone. And the ability that we have to live for him and to serve him is of God. And dear believer, as you seek to live for God, your sufficiency is of God. It's not of yourself. It's not of yourself. And so this morning, I want us to consider resting upon our sufficient God. Resting upon our sufficient God. And firstly, we see that we must recognize the humbling reality of our insufficiency. The humbling reality of our insufficiency. How can we rest upon our sufficient God? Firstly, we need to know that we are absolutely insufficient. We can't do it ourselves. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. And this thought that we are insufficient, it attacks our pride. And we do not like our pride being attacked. The book of Proverbs says, Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before fall. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. And our pride tells us something that often we want to hear. Our pride tells us we're sufficient to do this. We can do this ourselves. Look at you. Look at me. We have ability and we have strength and we can do this. And that's what Satan desires us to know. That when it comes to spiritual things and living for Christ, we're able to do that ourselves. He wants us to take the focus of God and of Christ and of the help that God gives us through his spirit. Well, we don't need to pray and we don't need to read the word of God continually. We don't need to come to church and hear the preaching of the word. We're a good Christian. We know the truth. We don't need to hear it time and time again. We can spend our time doing other things because spiritually, well, spiritually we've arrived. And that is the deception of Satan. He wants you and I to think that we are too good, that we are sufficient in ourselves to live for God. Not only sufficient in ourselves to have salvation of ourselves, but good enough that we do not need the means of grace regularly applied to our hearts. Good enough that we don't need to come and worship the Lord and hear his word. 
Satan says, you don't need a savior to redeem you from sin because you're good and holy and righteous. You don't need God's help to live a righteous life. You don't need the help of God to evangelize. Do it yourself. You're wise and you're knowledgeable and you're smart and you have ability. And you're wiser than God, he may say. Is that not what the devil said to Eve? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Do you believe or let us through the power of the Spirit kill pride? Kill pride. This is what this thought is all about. Recognizing the humbling reality of our insufficiency. We're nothing. We're nothing. And what did the Savior say? For without me, ye can do nothing. For without me, ye can do nothing. And how true that is. How true that is. If it was not for Christ, I wouldn't be standing here. If it was not for his work of redemption, I certainly wouldn't be standing here or sitting there where you are. If it was not for his guidance and his call and him encouraging through his word and challenging and leading and guiding, I would not be here. And we could probably say that about you as well. If it was not for the Lord and his working within your life, you would not be here this morning as we gather in worship. Without me, you can do nothing. And we need is the church of Christ to remember that, to remember that. Often we hear people say harshly, you need to get it into your head. They may say it a lot harsher than that, but you need to get it into your head. And this morning, dear believer, we need to get into our heads that without Christ, we can do nothing. Without him, we are insufficient. Without him, this congregation and this church and this ministry and all we seek to do will feel it is insufficient without the Savior. Paul was a wise man. He was learned. He was a man who had a great background, a great education. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but in Philippians chapter 3, uh, he goes through a list of the great blessings that he had, of who he was, and he says, these things were gained to me, but I counted loss for Christ. All things were done, he says, but for Christ. He understood this, and he understood what he was trying to tell this Corinthian church. Without Christ, we're insufficient. We're insufficient ourselves. And he's speaking about living for Christ. He's speaking about the ministry of the gospel. He's speaking about serving the Lord. We are insufficient. Insufficient. Paul's ministry was being called into question. And he turns around there, he says... In chapter 2, verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? He says, I'm not sufficient for these things. Who's sufficient to preach the wonder of Christ and the beauty of Christ and the cross of Christ? Who in this world is capable of being a faithful servant of Christ? Paul says, not me. And not you and not me. Who is sufficient of these things? And Paul gives that answer in the text. Those who know the sufficiency of God. 
the sufficiency of God. Paul was called by the Lord. Romans 10 reminds us of the need of gospel preachers and the source of gospel preachers. God calls them and makes men sufficient for these things because they are utterly incapable. One preacher and commentator said, the only person who is competent is one whom God has made a minister. Self-made ministers are incompetent. Incompetent. In other words, relying on ourselves. Making ourselves servants of God. There's incompetency. We need men of God. We need ministers. We need Christians who are sufficient and depending upon the power of God. Is that the desire of your heart, dear believer, to pray that God would make you a man or a woman who is depending upon him. Your sufficiency is upon him that you're praying that for all of us in this congregation that our sufficiency would be of God. You're praying for men of God to be called and to go into the service of Christ who rely upon him and their sufficiency is upon him. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, and the apostle draws our attention, verse 14, to being called into the ministry for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. And in the life of Paul, God made the difference. God made the difference. Self-made Christians are incompetent. Self-sufficient Christians are incompetent. We are incapable of good spiritual work or service, but it's God who makes the difference. We see that in the life of Paul. And dear believer, before you can be blessed by the sufficiency of our God, you must be humbled into understanding that you are insufficient. And that's a step in the gospel as well. Insufficient to be saved. Insufficient to save yourself. It is of God. It is of the Savior. Do we realize this morning that humbling reality that we are insufficient? And it should bring us closer to the Lord. It should bring us to prayer more often. It should bring us more often to his word. It should bring us more often to hearing his word preached. That our hearts would be challenged and edified and built up. Oh, that we would understand we are insufficient. Insufficient. But we can sit as a congregation and as a church. And we can make plans. And many churches do that. They make plans. And they have programs. And they decide what is going to be done in the future and what means of outreach is going to be used and all sorts of things. Many good ideas. But God must be in them. And the sufficiency of putting these things together and engaging in these things must, it must be all of God resting upon him for we ourselves are nothing. Secondly here, we must realize the glorious truth of our God's sufficiency. We must realize the glorious truth of our God's sufficiency. We need to remind ourselves we're insufficient. As it were, put the boot on our head and remember that uh, we are but dust, as it were, in comparison to our glorious creator. And when we realize we can do nothing, we must look then to the one who can do these things, the one who is sufficient, do you believe it's a glorious truth? The humbling reality of our insufficiency is a truth that may hurt us and pain us. But it ought to humble us that we look to the glorious truth that our God is sufficient. 
the Westminster divines were tasked with producing a catechism. And they endeavored to give a definition of who God is. Uh, there are stories told of how they define God. It was maybe a, diff a difficult thing, of course, to define God. Uh, but one of their delegates prayed, and I suppose we could say this is a legend or a myth. If it's true, I don't know. But the story is told of one of the delegates to that assembly who prayed a prayer that was very similar to the words of the catechism. It was used in the catechism. God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Does that answer not proclaim something to you? Does it not proclaim the sufficiency of God? The sufficiency of God. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Not just a little goodness. Not just a little bit of truth. Mixed with a whole lot of lies like men. But he is all truth and all power and all goodness. He is perfect. He is sufficient. This answer cries out to you and I. Our God is a sufficient God. A sufficient God. He is infinite. Job said, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? And no, we can't. He's eternal. Before the mountains, the psalmist said, were brought forth. Or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And we find it hard for human minds to comprehend this. But God is not bound by time. He was there in the beginning he will be there past the end. And there are those of us here, we have seen perhaps a lot of years. There may be some of us who feel that we've been here since the beginning of time. Our bodies ache and we feel old and a lack of energy. And we feel maybe much older than the years that we have. But yet the reality is, we, our lives are but a little puff of steam, a little bit of vapor in the great history of this world that will one day pass away. Our lives are a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. God is not banned by time. He was there in the beginning. He is here now. He is here to the end of this world and in eternity. I can think of my mobile phone, my cell phone. It has a beginning when it was designed and when it was created. I bought it. And I use it. But in the future, one day I will cease to use it. I still have a contract. I'm a few months into a two-year contract. So hopefully I will not cease to use it anytime soon. And it will last. Uh, I had uh, a problem some years ago. I bought a new phone. And I'm quite pleased. It was the first real uh, good smartphone I had ever purchased. And I came out of work. It was in uh, my jacket, my windbreaker. I got into the car. And I closed the door. I drove home. I couldn't find my phone. I drove back to work. There it is in the parking lot. I, it fell out of my pocket just as I closed the door. And it was flimsy and it flipped up and showed the numbers and the screen and all sorts of things. My first touchscreen phone. And it was basically snapped in half when I closed the door and I didn't realize. And so it wasn't insured or anything like that. And 
it died very early on in uh, that contract that I had. But we know about our cell phones, one day it will end, maybe suddenly. One day it will be no longer of use. It has its beginning, it has its end, like everything in this world. We know that, we understand that, but God is different. God has no beginning and God has no end. And Scripture teaches this, teaches us this great truth. He's not bound by any law, nor time, nor space. We are bound to the time in which we live. We are bound to the space in which we live. I'm here today and I'm nowhere else. That's impossible. I said last Sunday evening I was here in our pulpit. I was also in Calgary pulpit, but not physically. It was by a video message that I'd preached here several months ago. And so while I was present in two pulpits, there was a catch to it. I was only here in person. But God is present here and God is present in our other congregations and other places where he is worshipped faithfully. At the same time, he is with us today. He's not bound by these things. He is unchangeable as well. James said that there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There's much change in this world. Much change in this world. We change our minds continually. Continually. But God is unchangeable in his person. He is dependable. He can be trusted. We can think of his wisdom and his power and his holiness and his justice and goodness and truth that he cannot lie. And we could spend more time looking at all of this. Our God is a truthful God, abundant in goodness and truth, Moses said. And when we think of who God is, he is sufficient. And it's a glorious truth for us. We can rest upon him for salvation. We know we're saved. Why? Because he is a sufficient God. A sufficient God. The Apostle Paul knew this. 2 Corinthians 12, he had his thorn in the flesh. It was not to be removed, but God said his grace is sufficient. Sufficient grace to help. God is sufficient in his redemption. In his redemption, there are many that have doubts and fears about salvation and redemption. They hope they can be saved. They maybe hope they are saved and maybe you're struggling. But what does the scripture say? Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a fact. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a fact. Dear believer, if you turn from sin and you look to Christ, you can be assured of that salvation because Christ is a sufficient Savior. He's the only Savior. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. His work is the only ground of salvation. His work is a finished work. Oh, we can rest in him. As the apostle says, our sufficiency is of God. God is sufficient. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe in your heart that God and all that he is? And there's a great depth to that catechism answer and a great depth to who God is that reminds us of his sufficiency that we've only really glimpsed at. But when you think of these truths, are you convinced? Yes, God is a sufficient God. He's sufficient to save me. Trust in him. He's sufficient in that he did save me. Rejoice in that. He's sufficient to help me in trial and in service and in living for him. And seek him and rejoice that he is 
sufficient. Thirdly and finally, I want you to see that we must rejoice in the blessedness of our God's sufficiency. We must rejoice in the blessedness of our God's sufficiency. Believer, this morning, what is your reaction to these truths concerning the sufficiency of God? Is your heart cold toward these truths? It should not be cold. We should be rejoicing. We should be rejoicing that though we're weak and feeble, God is sufficient for us. There's a blessedness to these truths and a blessedness to us that is rooted deep within these truths. And why do we rejoice in his sufficiency? For he is sufficient in his purpose. In his purpose for this world, the Lord is sufficient. He sustains it. He gives us all the common graces of life. We enjoy the blessings of God. We enjoy the harvest. We enjoy nature. We enjoy families because of the grace of God and God's controlling hand upon this world. We may worry about the future, but God is sufficient for us in this world. He's sufficient for us in our lives. God is sufficient in every aspect of our lives. With him, nothing is impossible. We read Psalm 46. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Paul suffered greatly. And what does Paul say to the church at Corinth? Oh, you might suffer and be shipwrecked and stoned and left for dead and endure imprisonment. Prisons in those days were not comfortable places. Back in the United Kingdom, we often talked about her or his, as it is now, his majesty's hotel, the, the prison. But prisons back many, many years ago, prisons back at the time of the apostle here, were certainly not a hotel, not even close, not even the basic comforts that we enjoy today. But yet he suffered these things. And what does he say? <clears throat> Be careful. Don't get into trouble. Keep your head down and not watch, watch for the authorities coming to get you. No. He says, God is sufficient. Whatever we face, God is sufficient. In his work and whatever that work entails, he is sufficient. In all of these things because of his power. And he rejoices in this. And God is sufficient for his church. The context of this verse finds the apostles speaking of God's sufficiency on the issue of his church, specifically regarding ministers, but we can apply that to all of the church of Christ. We can rejoice that God is sufficient for his people through the means of grace, through his word, through the sacraments. And if you want to know the sufficiency of the Lord for his church, you need to be under the word and under prayer, through his methods as well. God's ways, God has his ways for his church, the preaching of the gospel of Christ. It's not entertainment, it's preaching. Many churches have strange and weird means of outreach. I remember several years ago, and we're not talking 70s or 80s, we're talking around 2010, there was a church, very liberal church in Northern Ireland, and as outreach, what were they doing? They had young girls, late teens, early 20s, going out into the streets of the town. They had signs and they had T-shirts. And their means of outreach was to give free hugs. Free hugs. 
and among the very conservative churches in the area, and even among Christians who may not have been so conservative, they did not like that idea at all. We won't be going out giving free, free hugs and outreach. We'll be going out giving gospel leaflets and speaking of Christ. The same church, they did outreach later on, and they dressed up. The pastor had a penguin costume on. Christmas was a time of year. Giving out invitations to the church, dressed like a penguin. A penguin. I'm not going to be doing that. Certainly not. But they're bringing down that standard. And going about God's work through an entirely different means, an entirely different method. I thought they were giving out an invitation to some nightclub or social thing in the town, but it was a church invitation. And we could go on and on and on about the methods that are used that are not God-glorifying. What is the great method that God says in his word? Preach the gospel. Paul preached Paul witnessed the church of Christ and ourselves. We're to be witnesses for Christ. And we need to get back to God's ways and God's methods and the preaching of the cross. Those methods, God says, are sufficient. Not the ideas of the world. Not bringing the music of the world into the house of God. Not bringing music by those uh, who have all sorts of ideas about God. They say they're Christians, but they reject a large amount of what God teaches. We're not to bring their things into the house of God. We're to worship God and serve him by his ways. Separated away from this world. Why? Because his ways are sufficient. His ways are sufficient. Sufficient ways. If we were to change things up a bit bring in the lights and bring in the drums and bring in modern worship, well, we might be more appealing, but that's not God's ways. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Sing his praises. Not focusing upon music and loud music, but the simple piano to help us to sing and help us to have that tune Simply praising God. God's ways are sufficient ways. Man will say no. Man has his ideas. But we need to remember that we're resting upon our sufficient God. And this truth that our sufficiency is in God has some practical thoughts to us as we close very quickly. It convinces us of the vanity or emptiness of all things for everything that is not of God. Everything that is not of God is insufficient. This truth that God is sufficient is a comforting truth for our adversities and our troubles. It's a truth that rebukes those who neglect the all-sufficiency of God. In theory, you can believe it. But do you practice it? Do you practice it? I don't think anyone here would stand up and say, God is not sufficient. But do you believe that and practice it in your life? It encourages us to go forward for God and holy living and service. It helps us to glorify him. It gives us a sufficient example to meditate. We're to follow in his way. If he is sufficient for us, let us be sufficient and not being anxious for the things of this life. Let us put the Lord first. 
Let us put the Lord first. The Banner of Truth published many books. They've printed a collection of Puritan prayers. It's called The Valley of Vision. And it says, one of those prayers, The world is before me this day, and I am weak and fearful, but I look to thee for strength. If I venture forth alone, I stumble and fall, but on the beloved's arms I am firm as the eternal hills. If left to the treachery of my heart, I shall shame thy name. But if enlightened, guided, upheld by thy spirit, I shall bring thee glory. Be thou my arm to support, my strength to stand, my light to see, my feet to run, my shield to protect, my sword to repel, my sun to warm. Oh, they prayed that. And they focused upon who God is and his sufficiency. Let us never forget that truth. Dear believer, don't forget that truth. If we all individually forget that truth, that God is sufficient, then what happens? This church as a whole forgets that truth, that God is sufficient. Let us not do that. Let us believe wholeheartedly that in all things he is sufficient for us. And let that truth draw us closer to him in depending upon him. May the Lord bless his word for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn on our hymnals as we close. The hymn 547. <clears throat> 547. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. And we're going to sing verse 1 and verse 4. The first verse and the final verse standing uh, to sing, please. Father and our God, we thank thee for thy blessing, for thy word. We pray thou would apply it to our hearts and may we leave this place challenged, may we leave this place determined by thee and that we will believe and practice this great truth that thou art sufficient for us. Father, we pray that thou would part us with thy blessing. Bring us again to thy house this night. Bless our time of fellowship too, we pray. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all.
Amen. Amen.